Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. I uh, want to talk to you for just a minute. This is not the sermon. This is free. Uh, I was so grateful what Rita had to share with you. She came to our association this past Christmas and talked with pastors throughout this area about the work that she was doing and the impact of it, and it's amazing. But I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that you are part of a bigger group of churches that together cooperate to help fund the International Mission Board, the largest sitting agency in the world. And over 3,500 missionaries are being sent out and are dependent upon our gifts. And do you know that what we give during the month of December for Lottie Moon funds more than half of the budget for the year? And so it is critical that we participate in this offering. I want to remind you of some of the impact of that. Do you know that in 2022, we don't have the 2023 numbers yet, but in 2022 alone, 178,000 people came to Christ through the ministry of your missionaries. Another 102,000 of that group followed up with believers' baptism. Matter of fact, if you were to take those that are serving as missionaries by the number of people who come to faith, you would discover that per missionary, more than 52 people come to Christ in a year. And that is more than 10% of all the 40,000-plus Southern Baptist churches there are, okay? So this matters. It matters a lot. But let me give you a statistic that will make you pause. The average family will give more to their dog in chew toys at Christmas than they will to their mission offering. So could I ask you, if you really like your dog, give missions just a little bit on top of that, okay? Could we bump up to that? Because we have a good goal, but man, we can blow right through that and it'll make a difference. So I just encourage you to participate. Okay, that was free. Now... I'm preaching. So if some of you clock starters, you can start now. Okay. We are in the book of Luke chapter 1. We're looking for, the, for three weeks. I'm going to talk to you about receiving God's best at Christmas. And so I'm going to bring you three Christmas messages. But in that, I just want us to take people that are found in the Scripture, in the Christmas stories, and see what they might have to say to us. And today, we're going to, particular, we're going to talk about Zachariah and Elizabeth. We're just going to walk through their story together. What I wanted you to think about with me, though, is this. We're going to talk about the gift of silence. Now, I know that for some of you, after a full Thanksgiving, and you have a relative you like and don't like that showed up, that silence may sound really good right now. But what about those times in your life when you're asking God, where are you? What about those moments in your life in which you desperately, desperately need to hear from God? You desperately need to know, God, you know where I am. You know who I am. You, you know the pain that I'm in. 
And all you hear is the loud noise of silence. What does God have to say to us? And is it possible that silence could actually be a gift that God wants to give to us? So as we talk about Zachariah and Elizabeth, let's first talk to the one who knows everything. Lord God, we thank you for this day, for this moment. And as we talk through and listen through this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say to us so that in the silence we cannot miss you. For we pray it in the holy, precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 5. The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years." And the Bible starts by describing a couple that was the kind of couple that you hoped moved in next door to you. Good people, loving people. They loved God. They were faithful. They had a great reputation in the community. When people thought about them, they thought of somebody that they could trust. They saw someone of character. They saw someone of value. The Bible says that they were blameless. But then it also says that they had a hurt. She was barren. She couldn't have children. And what you need to know is within this culture, and frankly sometimes within our culture, there's this assumption that if I really love God, and if I really try hard, and I do what I know I'm supposed to do, surely God will bless me. Surely, I will be able to have what I need to have or I want to have. And one of the marks of God's favor upon someone's life, they would say, is this. They have children. And there would be people that because she did not have a child would say something like this. You know, I know they're good people. I know I've never seen anything questionable about them. I know that probably there's nothing there. But something must be missing. Or they would have a child. And I can imagine that as, as they were newly married and the years were marching by, that they were hopeful and they tried and they did everything they knew. And you know, you know how relatives are. Somebody came up beside them and said, hey, listen, I, I, I might be able to help you. Or, hey, wear this. I saw it on a donkey once and he had a lot of, you know. I mean, there's always somebody ready to give you advice, right? But year after year after year, no children. Prayer after prayer after prayer, no answer. What was God trying to tell them in the midst of their silence? Verse 8. Now when Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, 
According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So here he is, and it's his time to be able to go before the Lord inside the temple and to offer prayers on behalf of the people. And remember what it says, he's chosen by lot. That meant that as a priest, that literally you could have been born into the priesthood, served as a priest, been faithful as a priest, but you might not ever get to go inside to the holy place. So when that happened, that's a big moment. And so he carries the censer in, and he is there, and he is offering prayers before the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people what were praying outside the hour of incense. And then look at verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord God. And he will go before him in this power and spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now think about that for a moment. Your name is called. You get to go in. You come before the altar area, and you're offering up prayers. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel appears. And he says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the way the Bible describes this couple. It says that they were well advanced in years. That means they were old. That's a kind way to say it. They were old. They are past the place of having children. But here's what you need to know about hurt and dreams. They don't stop just because you got older. The angel said, your prayer has been heard. Even though they're past the time, even though they're well advanced in years, that prayer, that that little heart hunger is still sitting there. Now, can I mention something very quickly? We're going to have over the next few weeks people in our service with babies and children, and I want you to know I love it. At the Sermon on the Mount, there was no child care. So we love the sound of kids. That does not bother me. Matter of fact, if your baby's sleeping too soundly, pinch it just enough to get a little bit of a, that way I'll know we're, I'm, I'm kidding. Do not, maybe I'll scrub that off the tape. But here's the reality. When you're hurting, when you've walked through pain, when you've walked through disappointment, when you've had a dream that you have long hoped for, and the time comes in your life where you think, well, that'll never happen. I will tell you, that, that little hunger point It's still sitting right there. And God speaks directly to it. 
He speaks directly to it. He says, your prayer has been heard. And not only that, this will be a child like no other. This child will literally be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. This child will have the perpetual vow of the Nazarite. This child is going to be separated unto the Lord. You'll remember in Numbers chapter 6, there's a description there. They give a chapter over to describing the vow of the Nazarite. Normally, it would have been a short term. It is possible for some people as an adult to take the vow and to stay in it so they could serve at the temple. But the reality was this child is separated before birth as a Nazarite. And literally it says in number 6, 8, all the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So from the very beginning, he is holy to the Lord. He is not to touch a grape. He's not to eat its skin. He's not to eat its flesh, chew its seeds. He is not to have strong drink. And not only that, he is never to get a haircut. Because see, what you would do as a Nazarite, when you took your vow... You would grow your hair, and then at the end, you would shave your head, and you would burn it in the fire before the Lord as an offering. John the Baptist didn't get a haircut until Herod beheaded him. So can you imagine what he might have looked like in the desert? A bit of a sight. But he was going to be the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. Verse 18. And Zechariah says to Gabriel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I love this moment because it's so human. I mean, think about it. You, you are a priest. You have been schooled in the ways of God. Your name is called. You're bringing in prayers. You are asking God. You are talking to God. He sends Gabriel, number one angel, shows up, talks to you about what God's going to do, and your response, how shall I know? The appearance would have been a good step. How will I know? And look, look, this proves that he had been married and trained well. For he says, for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> he didn't say, oh yeah, she's old too. And this is here forever, okay? But he said, how can it be? And you know, it just strikes me how when you and I walk through times of silence and challenge and questions and hurt, that God speaks to us in his word and he says something to us, maybe even inside this message or a different time. And we have heard him and we say, that's good. What else do you have? Is there something else? And the angel says, okay, because you didn't believe me. You're not going to say another word. Matter of fact, as we read on through this, not only could he not speak, 
it became pretty evident he couldn't hear either. And all of a sudden, he finds himself plunged into silence. And some of the last words he would ever hear was this, because you didn't believe these things will take place, you will be silent until they're fulfilled. Times of silence. What does it say in verse 21? And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service ended, then he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to what? Take away my reproach from among the people because she was aware that no matter how godly a life she lived there was a question in the community about her character and now it was taken away you know I would like to tell you that we don't have that same kind of thing happen anymore I would like to tell you that people don't think that way anymore but I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with somebody that says something like this. Well, if they're going through a hard time, I wonder what they did to make it happen. If, if they really loved God and they were really being faithful, then surely he would give them healing. If they were doing the right things, if there was not something in their life, then surely by now, they would have a release. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear that you can be faithful you can love God with all your heart. And you're still going to walk through hard times. And there are some silent times that some of you are walking through that nobody else fully understands the depth of that reality. Silent times. He wanted a message from God. And then he wanted a sign. So he got it. He got his silence. But in Luke 157, we have the birth of John. It's an exciting time. It's an amazing time. Everybody's excited. And so when John is born, all the people that gather, their relatives and friends, said, we need to name him after his father, Zachariah. Because that would have been the custom. And Elizabeth said, no. His name is to be John. And verse 61, it says, And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And from moving from the place where he did not have belief, he then moves to the moment where he speaks a psalm or a song about God's glory. Look at what it says. The first part is found in Luke 1, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And at very front, he says, listen, let me tell you about the provision of God. 
Let me tell you how God is taking care of his people. Let me tell you about the Messiah that God is sending to us. And then the second part is he talks about God's prophet who's going to prepare the way. And he says in verse 76, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and in the forgiveness of their sins. And he looks at this little baby and he says, You, my child, you are the one that is going to be the prophet that was spoken of that will prepare the way for the Messiah. You'll remember that when John the Baptist was preaching, there came a time when Jesus came and was baptized. This is a little bit later that Jesus was walking by and others were following him. And some of the disciples of John the Baptist looked at him and said, hey, there's a lot of folks starting to walk after him that aren't walking after us anymore. And John the Baptist looks at him and says, listen, He must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist always understood my role is to prepare the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. My role is to point to the one who is coming. But he also talked about God's promise in Luke 178. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says, listen, God is sending his salvation to his people. He's sending his salvation because of his tender mercy. This is what God is doing among us. And you know, as I read this and I think about that temple moment in which he says, how can I know This is real. To this moment in which he is praising God at the top of his lungs, all I can can figure out is this. Something happened to him during his time of silence. During that nine months in which he couldn't speak. During that nine months when he was not hearing anything but the echo of his own heart. God was working in his life and doing a work upon his life and was doing something amazing in that silence. You know, I'll talk to you for just a minute about this silence that you walk through and that everyone will through. I, I want you to hear, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're not going to have, the, you're not going to have always everything be perfect. You're going to walk through hard times. You're going to walk through challenging times. You're going to walk through silent times. What can I learn? What can I know inside the silence? I think about that because in my own life, when those silent moments have come, and they've come, there's been some hard, hard valleys. I think about Psalm 77. I think about one of the chief choir masters, musicians for David in his court named Asaph. And he wrote a psalm that you would find in your Bible in Psalm 77. And he talked about silent times, and this is what he said. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. 
You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused. My spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And there's the record of a man that is hurting. That in those silent moments is just crying out to God, God, I want to understand, where are you? When I'm hurting this bad God, where are you? In the moment of challenge, where are you? You know, times of silence aren't the same for everybody. You know, for some of you, you've had a year where it seems like one thing after another happened. Or perhaps you know what it's like to have lost someone you dearly loved. This is the first time that you're walking into a holiday season without hearing their laughter. Or you're at a place where you were hungry for hope and you were excited and you don't understand why that child is not with you now. There's all kinds of hurt. What I want you to hear is no matter how deep the hurt, no matter how hard the moment, the Lord has a word for you in the midst of your silent times. You know, I'm always struck by this. You can be in a crowd of people and feel desperately alone. What does God have to say to us? Well, I think about what he said to Paul at one point. You know, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, greatly called of God, used by God. With all the miracles and all the things that Paul got to see happen, he describes a a, a, a thorn in his flesh. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is. I'm kind of grateful for that because I think as soon as you can document something, you can dismiss it. But the reality is, is that it was a thorn that interfered. It was a thorn that frustrated to the place that he records. I prayed and I asked God multiple times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And maybe you know that prayer. Maybe you know the prayer. God, just take it away. Please take it away. Right now. And the Lord in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul would say to us, I don't want this infirmity. But if God can use it for his glory, I'll choose it. I don't want this pain. But if God's going to use this to his glory, then I'm going to say yes. Because my life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I don't belong to me anymore. And the purpose of my life is no longer for me. My purpose is to be a living sacrifice for him. 
And if this is what he wants, my answer is yes. God uses times of silence to shape our character, to transform us more deeply into the image of his son. Bruce Pandolfin, excuse me, Bruce Pandolfin. You know, I'm still not saying Bruce's name right. Y'all don't tell all of me. Bruce Pandolfini, okay, got it right that time, is the recognized chess master teacher in America. I was reading something that he wrote one time about teaching students that really struck me because I was walking through a, a hard time, and he says this, my lessons consist of a lot of silence. I listen to other teachers, and they're always talking. I'll let my students think. If I do ask a question and I don't get the right answer, I'll just rephrase the question and wait. I never give the answer. Most of us really don't appreciate the power of silence. Some of the most effective communication between student and teacher, between master players, takes place during times of silence. And I can just tell you from my own journey that there are some things that God talked to me about or showed me or helped me understand because of times of silence that I wouldn't have heard in times of enthusiasm and blessing. I will tell you, you walk through a time of silence, you walk through time of hurt, you walk through time of pain, you're carrying a special gift in your heart. Because you talk to somebody else that's walking through pain or walking through silence or walking through a challenge, their hope is not that they get to go spend two hours with somebody that has never known anything but wonder. They want to be in the room with somebody that has known hurt. They can look at them and say something like this, I don't have an answer for where you are. But I can tell you that in the valley of the shadow, in the lowest point of my valley, in the darkest point of my struggle, I found out something. Jesus is enough. He really does stick closer than a brother. He is more faithful than I ever knew. Jesus is enough. You see, we choose our response to the silent times in our lives. Think about what Asa says in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty days, deeds. And what he would say to us is this. When you're at that hard time, that silent time, that questioning time, and you just want that answer so bad, you want that moment to pass so quickly, just be still and remember God's right there with you. Reflect on those moments in your past where you've seen God move. Cling to this reality that Jesus is enough. Years ago when I was walking through one of those times, I came across a journal entry that a pastor had written. 
It said this, I have learned that God's silence to my questions is not a door slammed in my face. I may not have answers, but I do have him. Jesus is enough. Will you bow your heads with me? As our heads are bowed, I just want to ask you about your silent times. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. But I am going to ask you in your heart that if you're walking through a silent time or challenging time and you know it, I'm going to ask you to let me pray for you right now. Father, I pray for your children. I pray for those that are here, and this has been a hard season. And some, some have received news that they don't know how to get past. Relationships that are broken, hopes that have been crushed, separations. And Father, they're just in a, in a, in a feel like they're in a blender. And it won't stop. Lord, I'm asking you where they are right now to minister to their soul. To speak into their spirit. To encourage them. To remind them that you love them. That you know all about silent times. That you're right there for them. I pray, God, for your hand to minister to them now. In Jesus' name, amen.